Welcome to Roots Radio, weekly high school Bible studies located at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. John chapter 11, as we're going to pick up, we're going to continue our study through the Gospel of John, and uh, this morning we're going to look at Jesus as the resurrection and the life. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you that we could come this morning and, and worship you. And Lord, your presence is among us and here. And Lord, we're just so thankful that you would um, choose to dwell among your people. And, and God, we're, we're just overwhelmed by that. Lord, that you would want to or desire to be with us and near us. And so Lord, um, we're just so uh, enthralled with you, Lord. We pray this morning that our love for you, our knowledge of you would grow. God, that you would cause us to dig deeper into who you are, and God, that you would strengthen our faith, encourage us this morning. And uh, Lord, we just are so thankful for you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, last week we looked at Jesus as the shepherd and um, kind of looking at uh, verses 22 through 39 and, and also the kind of that tail end section of chapter 10. We looked at um, how Jesus basically, to sum it all up, Jesus laid down his life. No one took it from him. We looked at how because of the love that God had for us that he willingly laid down his life for us and the, the wonderful gift that that is and the wonderful love that God has for us uh, that he would do that for us. And so this morning we're going to come across the fifth I am statement of Christ and it's going to be the uh, kind of, uh, sorry, the fifth I am statement in the sense of him coming from I am the door, I am the shepherd, I am um, uh, the way, the truth, the light. Those I am statements here this morning he's going to speak uh, and give us the, the fifth one, which is, I am the resurrection and the life. And all these, these events that have been leading up to this morning, Jesus has healed a blind man, and this blind man was excommunicated from the, the, um, from the synagogue, from the people. Um, and Jesus then goes on this um, sermon that, that talks about who he is and, and what he's come for. He's with the intention of showing who he is. Uh, they ask him plainly, the, the religious leaders tell him, you need to tell us who you are, who you claim to be. And last week we looked at that claim where Jesus says, I am of the Father, me and the Father are one. In verse 30 of chapter 10, I and my Father are one, in the sense that they are one in essence. Two very different persons, but one in the same, that they are both God. Uh, they have the power that only God has. And Jesus this morning is going to prove, again, that is who he is. That what he's going to do this morning in our text is something that only God has the power to do, which is has the power over life and death. No one else has power over life and death. Jeremy was saying it all morning, that death is the great equalizer, that we all answer to death, right? Everyone, ben, Benjamin Franklin said there's two, two things that are certain in this life, and one is death and the other is taxes. Those are two certainties in life, right? We're all going to die. Ten out of ten people die. Mm-hmm. Those of you who are starting to pay taxes, you're like, ah, who... 
How many of you have a job and you're like, I'm going to get this much money. And then you look at your check and you're like, who's FICA and why are they taking all my money? It's the government, man. Anyway, taxes are good. They pay for your roads and junk. Anyway, but this morning, Jesus is going to perform a miracle that I'm sorry, we can't ignore. No one can ignore this miracle or sweep it under the rug and say, well, this is a coincidence. He paid somebody off. Um, it was a hoax. So in verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus is in the area of Bethage, and it's a two days journey from Bethany. And we know, we've heard of these people before, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. You remember the story of Mary as she's there. Jesus had come to their house. Jesus was very familiar with this family. He knew them. He had friendships with them. Um, he would frequent their house. And Martha loved to just serve in the way of hospitality. She loved to make food. She loved to serve people. She loved to be that kind of come over to my house and I'm going to cook a feast kind of a thing. And Jesus would come to her house and, and there she would bake for them and cook meals for them. And there was an instance where Jesus and the disciples were there and Martha is there in the kitchen and she's working and she's slaving away. And her sister Mary is out sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening to him and worshiping him. And Martha says, Jesus, will you tell my lazy bum of a sister to get off her hindquarters and come into the kitchen and help me with this meal. And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, he repeats her name twice. Me, you know, he says to her, Mary has chosen the greater. This is, if you could choose to be busy or sit at the feet of Jesus, she has chosen the right thing. And it wasn't that Mary was doing the wrong thing. He says, Mary, you need to remind yourself, it's not about being so busy, but just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And he kind of rebukes her in that way. This is that family. Mary was the one who anointed Jesus' feet with oil, and she wipes it with her hair. This is the, the oil that was a year's wage worth of money. You know, some people talk about how much they make in a year. Um, this amount of money was how much this oil was worth. It was a lot of money. And, and this is the time where Judas said, you know, what a waste of, of money. I mean, if we had sold it and, and used the money for the poor, and Judas also wanted to take a little bit of it for himself. And that's this family. So Jesus had an, an acquaintance. He knew them. There was a friendship that he had with them. And their brother... Lazarus had come down with a, a sickness. And in those days, sickness was not like, like today where we get a cold and we kind of web MD it. How many of you have web MD'd your symptoms and you're like, I have terminal cancer. And it's, I'm going to die. You have a cold. It's, you're okay. Never web MD anything because you're convinced 
that death has befallen upon you. The angel of death is at your door. It never fails and it feels like it's worse than it is. Has this ever happened to you? You're like, it's just, you're fine. It, no one? Okay. There are times where I'm like that. I have, um, I have a broken leg. It's, no, it's not a broken leg. It's just a sore leg. I don't know. Anyway. This guy had a sickness, and sickness in those days, if you got sick, unless there was a miraculous work of God in some way, I mean, a lot of times people would get the flu and they would die. People die from the flu today. That's why flu, when it gets crazy, people are like going, we're all going to die. The flu is a serious, a serious sickness. They didn't have medicine and all of these things like we have today. And so when someone would get sick, it was fairly serious. And when Lazarus comes down with this sickness, they do the right thing in that when this kind of thing happens to them and difficulty comes, they turn directly to Jesus. That their number one, like right where they go, is not to WebMD or some app on how to fix it. They go right to the Lord on, on this issue that we need you to come and help. And it's the right thing to do, that when we are struck with something that is difficult or, or harmful or, or an issue, that we go to the one who really can fix the issue. So often we go to every other resource that we can pull up, every other thing until we're exhausted and nothing is working. And our response then is, well, I guess we should just pray about it because there's nothing else we can do. I guess we just have to pray and hope for a miracle. When in fact, the best thing we can do is run to the Lord first. In verse 3, it says, The sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, I want you to take note, underline that word love in your Bible. Because Jesus is going to say something later that indicates how he feels about them. It says, When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, the Son of God may be glorified through it. When Jesus got the word of what's going on, Jesus' mentality or his view of this is not how they viewed it. Their view is, he's sick, we need deliverance from this. We need help in, in the midst of this. Jesus says this sickness is so that the, the Lord would be glorified. And often our perspective of things is not the perspective in which God has. God looks at our situation not as we see it, as, as terminal, as, as an issue that is going to end up in, in disaster. But God sees it and says, this is an opportunity for God to be glorified. And so they, Jesus looks at the situation and says, this is the opportunity for the Lord to be glorified. Now in verse 5, it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. It's interesting that John would mark under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Jesus says it is, it's a situation that I'm going to be glorified in. And it reminds, he's reminding us here that Jesus loved Martha and her sister. He loved Lazarus. But then, in the very next verse, it says, then he delays in coming to them. Now, we would think if Jesus really loved them, if he really cared for them, then number one, sickness would not be happening. And number two, he would fix it right away. Because those that I love, I want to fix their situation as much as I can. 
When my son is hurting or he's sick, the last thing I'm doing is like, just take, I'll fix it when I can. I want to minister. I want to help him. When he falls and eats it real bad and he's, I'm not like, and I deal with it. I'll be with you in a moment. Our reaction as parents is to go and to scoop them up and pat them on the back and, you know, is your boo-boo okay? That is our response. We want to make it better as fast as we can. And a lot of times in our human way, when we love someone, we automatically want to fix the issue or, or fix the problem as fast as we can. When my wife has an issue, I want to fix it. And that's kind of like when she has an issue and she just wants to talk, I want to fix it. I don't want to listen. I just want to fix it. And she's saying, I don't want you to fix it. I want you to listen, fool. And, and, and there's so many times that our response as, I think, men is we just want to fix it. And we think that is the expression of love, that if God really loved me, and we begin to doubt in difficult times, in trial, the, the love of God, that if God really loved me, then why would I be going through this? If God really loved me, then he would come to my aid quickly. If God really cared for me like his word tells me, then I would not feel forsaken at this moment. But what we find in verse 3, the, the sisters say, the one that you love, Jesus, we know that you love us. We know that you have a love for us. That word love is the word phileo. It, it indicates this, this friendship or a friend-like love. We, in her analysis of the love of Jesus for her brother is, we know that you love him. We know that you're like, what's up, bro? I love you as a friend. I'm not, you know, we have a friend. What's up? I love you, bro, as they leave. Not, okay, I didn't explain that very well. But there are, if you know our worship leader, B, B. Mallet, B. Mallet, Brian, he has this thing where he'll just tell you, and I never did this until I met him, but he'll just say, hey, love you, bro. And it's so, like, it's infectious that I have now found myself, hey, I love you. That was never, ever an expression I said to another man, <laughs> other than my father or my son, ever. It was just not something I ever expressed to another dude. Until I met him, and, and every time he would, hey, love you, Drew, Drew, boo-boo. That's his nickname for me. His nickname's for everyone. But he just has this way of saying, hey, I love you. And I never, I'm just not into that. And then it's infectious, where now I'm like, I love you. I love every, I just love everybody. It's this B-mallet type of love. But I know that, that Brian's love for me is not the kind of love that he feels for his mom or, or his future bride in the same way that I don't love Brian like I love Lauren. It's completely different. This is their assessment. Martha says, we know, we know, we know that, we that you love us. We know that. But the word that Jesus used to describe his love for Martha and her sister is the word agape. It's a different kind of love. It's a love of sacrifice and unconditional love itself. It's a different word. She says, we know that you love us. And Jesus says, you have no idea just how much I love you. That your assessment of my love for you is actually far deeper than what you really know. 
And so often, I think in, in difficult times, our view of the love of God can get skewed by our circumstance, and we can think, God, I know that you love me. And Jesus says, you have no idea just how much I really love you. The height, the depth, the width of my love for you is immeasurable. You just don't know how much I really love you. And there can be times where we doubt, does God really love me? And listen, he looks at our situation, and we look at it and say, God, this would be an opportunity for you to deliver me. And God says, this is an opportunity for, for me to be glorified in your life. Because there are times, I'm sure all of us have had that desire, God, I want you to be glorified in my life. How many of you have ever prayed that prayer? Has that ever happened? Like, God, I just want your, you to be glorified through me. What we've just prayed, and not that you shouldn't do it, people who say, don't pray for patience. You should pray for patience. And we should pray that God would be glorified. But the way in which God is glorified is not how we often think he's going to be glorified. God is glorified, as we're going to see in a minute, through death to ourselves. That Christ might shine through us. The more that we die to our flesh, the more Jesus shines through us. It's interesting. After he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. After he had stayed, he delays in his time there. They begin to wait on the Lord. How many of you like to wait? Anybody in this room? Nobody's like, you know what my favorite thing to do? is wait in lines. I just wait in them. I find a line, I go wait in it. I don't even care what it is at the end. I just like to be in a line. No one enjoys lines. When someone asks you, like, how was Disneyland? Your first response, if it was a good day, this is how you know it's a good day. There was no one there. Indiana Jones was like a five-minute wait. Why? Because we don't like to wait in lines. It's just our assessment of a good day was there were no lines. Because we don't like to wait for anything. I had to wait six minutes for my churro. Unacceptable. We don't like to wait. But in our time of waiting on the Lord, we can often think of God's delay to our problem or to our aid is God just not paying attention or not being aware of our situation. God knows us. Jesus knew that Lazarus was sick. Jesus knew that Lazarus was sick. And the fact of the matter is, Jesus didn't have to even be there to heal him. We had seen other situations where Jesus just speaks a word and says, go, and, and they're fine. They're healed at your house right now. Jer uh, Jairus' daughter and all those, not Jairus' daughter. There was a situation with the, the Roman centurion, and he comes to Jesus and says, my servant is sick. And Jesus says, well, let's go to your house. And he says to Jesus, I know who you are. I understand your authority in that I can send soldiers anywhere I want to send them and they go and they listen. I know that you can just speak a word and my servant will be healed. You don't even have to come to my house. Jesus saw his faith and marveled at his faith and he says, go to your house, your servant as well. Jesus didn't have to physically be there. But Jesus waits. And as he delays... They continue to seek after the Lord. None of us like to wait, and there are times when we, we pray and we feel like God's not answering. God's not answering my prayer. But yet God is just waiting. 
God's timing is not our timing. God's timing is perfect. It's outside of, of our understanding of, of how things would work, that if we had things fixed in the moment that we wanted them, it would not have worked out as God had planned. And God's delay is not because he has turned a deaf ear or because he's so busy that he doesn't see. God's timing is according to his sovereign plan. In his character. After his, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and, and are you going there again? And Jesus said, are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. The Jesus says, we're going to go to Judea, okay? We've waited two days. Let's get up. Let's go. And they say, listen, we really going to go back there because that's where they wanted to stone you. They picked up rocks. Remember, they were about to kill you. And, and no doubt, since we're with you, our lives are also in danger. And remind, Jesus reminds them, listen, we're not going to walk at night. We're not going to hide because we already know that Jesus is living for one moment in time, one specific hour. And until that hour, they were safe. And until God had said that this is the time in which Jesus will be crucified and his life would be taken or, or Jesus would give his life, until that moment, no man could touch him. And so Jesus reminds them, we're safe until I say so. And so they begin to, Jesus says, we're going to go to Judea. Verse 11, he says, these things he said, and, and after he, he had said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. His disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. He says, if, if he's just sleeping, why risk our lives for you to just go and be like, hey, Lazarus, wake up. Hey, buddy. Hey. Hey, wake up there, little guy. Little soybean, wake up. If we're going to risk our lives, you can just wake this guy up. I don't think so. And, and so they're confused about what Jesus is saying. But for the believer, what Jesus is, is making the mark or, or, or marking for us is that for the Christian, uh, death is just like falling asleep. In that when we close our eyes to go to sleep, in that moment we are present to be with the Lord. It says for the believer, death is not, not this final frontier where we're, it's over. I mean, it's the ceasing of life, but we fall asleep and we wake up again in the presence of God. How many of you have fallen asleep and you wake up the next morning and you're like, I feel like I just went to bed. That was quick. You're like, I had all these crazy dreams and there was unicorns and, and this fiery dragon that like ate my unicorn. And then I was like in this belly of the beast and my unicorn horn went through the belly of the dragon. And we, we then set, came out of the dragon and we were riding on this wind and there was a volcano. And have you ever had those kind of dreams? Never? Jacob's like, absolutely, every night. Unicorns. For the believer, death is not the end, but it's just like falling asleep. His disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, then he'll get well. Why do we got to even go down there? However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. They misunderstood. This was often the disciples. They just didn't really get you know, he would speak in the metaphorical, and they would think it was really in the physical. And there's a time where Jesus warns them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they're like, he's bummed. We forgot bread. 
Jesus, I just multiplied bread to the thousands. You think I'm really concerned about bread. They just, sometimes they weren't clicking. And that brings me such joy because I feel like times I am the biggest, if I could say, idiot. And that God would use someone like me who is unlearned and uneducated. This just kind of ministers to my heart. That it's the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Man, you don't have to be some, some great theologian for God to use you. God used two, 12 really dumb fishermen and, and flipped the whole world upside down. They didn't really get what he was talking about. And Jesus says very plainly in verse 14, Jesus said to them plainly, that's where I got that. It's like blunt force trauma. Lazarus is dead. Just very plainly, like a kick to the chest, the guy's dead. That's what I mean. It's like, bam. Just, here you go. Here's some information. He's dead, son. Verse 15, he says, and I am glad. Which sounds really sad coming along the, the previous verse, the context. Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad. If you were to pause there, it's like, <laughs> it's just rude. But Jesus said, he goes on. There's no comma. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. I want you to underline in your Bible that you may believe. <laughs> Nevertheless, let us go to him. Plainly, he says to them, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad that he's dead. Because I'm the only one who can bring life. And I'm glad for your sake because what's going to happen right now is going to affect your life for all of eternity. That what you're about to see me do is going to strengthen your faith more than any other miracle has ever been performed. What you're about to witness through the death that has been brought, you're going to see a miracle that is going to strengthen your faith beyond anything else. More than the blind receiving their sight, more than the leper being cleansed, more than the lame being able to walk, what you're about to see is going to strengthen your faith. And often, listen, through death to self, through us dying to ourselves and watching then God work in our life only reminds us again that God is powerful and it strengthens our faith in the God that we serve. That by death, death of self, death to the flesh, we watch God work and that gives us such faith in Him. To watch God do something that only He can do only gives us more faith in him. Thomas, who is called the twin, said to, this, to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas gets a bad rap as the doubter. You know, that's like his nickname, Thomas the doubter. Here he's got another nickname. He's called the twin. But he says to his disciples, listen, if, if he's going to die, then we're going to die with him. Let's go. I love that about Thomas is, is that he's all in. That if we're going to die, if Jesus is going to die, then we're going to die with him. I thought that was kind of interesting. He was all in in his faith, in his walk with the Lord. And even Thomas at one point doubted, struggled. There are times where we go through doubt and we struggle. 
There are times where our faith is just beating like never before. Verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. And now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, sorry, whatever you ask of God, God will give you. It's kind of an interesting little dialogue. Her brother is dead. He's been in the grave for four days. And Jesus comes strolling up. And she runs to him. And what she says to him, and I'm sure she's not rebuking him, but she's just sharing her heart. And she says, if you had been here, if you had just been here, you had healed other people. I've seen you do miracles. I've heard of what you've done. And if you had just been here, this would not have happened. You could have healed my brother. I'm sure she's at this point of why didn't you show up? We even sent a messenger. You had time to get here. Bethage was a two-day journey. Ten miles they'd walk, sleep, ten miles again, and they would arrive. There was time. For you to show up and do something. Why weren't you here? And as she confesses that to him, she then says, but even now, right now, even now, I know, I know that you can do all things. She had been disheartened, but she did not lose faith. When she confesses that, I know you could have done something. You could have done a work. You could have saved him. You could have healed him, but you didn't. And even now, and I don't understand why you didn't show up. I don't understand why you're not here. I gave you time. We prayed. We did all of these things, and you didn't show up. But even now, I know that you're still God. I don't understand why you did it the way that you did it. But I don't doubt who you are and that you have a plan and a purpose for why you did it. There are things that happen in our lives that we honestly just don't understand why. That we are left asking the question, why, God? Why did you allow this to happen? Why didn't you save? Why didn't you move? Why didn't you work like I asked you to? And in those moments, the devil would love to come and, and say to you, God doesn't love you, that's why. God doesn't care about you, that's why. And even in those moments, we're reminded, as we know that we, we remind ourselves, God, we, I know that you love me. And God would say, you have no idea just how much I love you. And in those moments is when our faith can either flight or it can be strengthened. That even though we don't understand, we do know that God is still God. And because God is God, we trust in him. And, and Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I understand. She, she had an understanding that there was life after this. That there was a resurrection after this. That, that death is not the final thing. She knew that. 
But she didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And she says to him, I, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at that last day, at that final day when, you, when the, the Messiah comes and all of that. When that happens, I know that, that he's going to rise again. I understand. But Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He says to her, I am the resurrection. I am life. And in that moment, Jesus communicates to her, I have power over death and I have power to give life. I have power over death and I have power to give life. I am God. I am the resurrection. I am the life right now in your midst. And though he may die, those who believe in me, though he may die physically, he shall live spiritually. That we who believe in Christ, though death may knock at your door, we don't know how long we will live. We don't know how long our race will be. Those that, that have this idea, I think a lot of times we think, well, when I'm old, then I'll serve. We don't know how long we have. Death is the great equalizer. We, we all fall under that category of death. Someday, if not now, if not in, in this miniature future that we have, someday in the distant future, 10 out of 10, we all face death. It will happen. Unless we experience the rapture of the church, which I believe we may never taste death in this generation. But the, the, the point is we don't know. Jesus says, those who believe in me, put their faith in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. The hope of eternal life in Christ. And I love that he gives her this opportunity. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He then makes it very personal to her. I've given you this opportunity. This is who I am. I've revealed myself to you. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Even in this moment of great pain and tragedy, where she begins to doubt how much God loves her, how much God cares for her. Why would God allow this? Jesus reminds her of who he is, and, and in that, her faith is strengthened. Do you notice that in this death, in this tragedy, her faith is strengthened, where she says, I know that you are the Messiah. She confesses with her mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior. That by death, Jesus, he is glorified. And this would not have happened had this sickness had come. Jesus wouldn't have been glorified in this way. Or her faith perhaps wouldn't have been as strengthened. Or, or who knows what, what would have happened. But we do see is that in this moment, she confesses Christ as Lord and Savior. 
Verse 28 says, And when she had said these things, he went her, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in a place where Martha met him. And Jews were, were with her in the house and comforting her. And when they saw Mary... Uh, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And he said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus then wept. I added a word, sorry. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Even everyone in this situation have looked at it and said, he could have stopped it. He could have prevented it. He could have saved. He could have stopped it. Everyone is doubting and asking the question, why didn't he come? And they all even come to this place where they said, didn't, isn't this the guy who loved him? Look at him weeping. Look at him crying. We know that he loved him. Then why didn't he stop it? And there are times, honestly, we ask that question, why? And we don't fully understand. But what Jesus said in the previous verses, I am glad that this has happened so that you would believe that your faith would be strengthened and that God would get the glory. And here's what happens next. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. They brought him to the tomb, and again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. When it says that Jesus groaned within himself, there was this great sorrow that he had. Why did Jesus weep? Because he saw what death or what sin had done to mankind. Sin had radically ravaged and changed mankind at a genome level. At a cellular level, sin had affected mankind. Sin is what brought, up, brought about death to humanity. And Jesus wept over that. And groaning in his spirit, he tells them, take away the stone. Martha, his sister of whom was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for four days. Now, the Jews had this belief that after three days that nothing could happen. That the, the soul of whoever had died kind of hung out for three days over the body. So if that person was going to be revived, it was a three-day period. Jesus waited four days. How dead was he? He was really, really dead. Like super dead. Like the deadest of the deads. Dead. Muerto. He was dead. He waits. Even Martha in Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha's like, seriously? Because um, it's been four days. His body's beginning to decompose. He stinks. The, the King James Version says, he has stinketh. <laughs> it, he's dead. And Jesus said to her, did, did I not say to you that 
if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. They took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. That's like his new title, the dead man. That's Lazarus' new title, the dead guy. That's where he is. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. His new title, Lazarus' name was no longer Lazarus. It was dead man. This guy was past saving in the eyes of everyone there. And when Jesus shows up, he speaks. And I love what he says is, Father, you always hear me. And what I'm saying is not for me right now. It is for those that are around and grieving that they may believe. And he calls him by name. He says, Lazarus, come forth. He called him by name because if he had just said, dead man, come forth, every dead person would have come forth. The authority that Jesus had, the power that he had, that if he had just said, anyone who's dead, dead man, come out, a lot of dead people would have been raised from the grave. And I love the fact that Jesus waited till every person at that point had said, this is a hopeless situation. The guy is gone. And Jesus says, to, so that your faith may be strengthened, watch what I can do. I can breathe life into something that is so dead. And Jesus calls him by name, and Lazarus comes walking out. He comes walking out with grave clothes still on. And Jesus says, loose him and let him go. It's an, an amazing miracle. It's an amazing miracle. Not only did Jesus have the power to give sight to the blind and heal the lame and, and the mute would speak and all of these things. This is a miracle that no one could say at this point that this was a hoax. This guy was past saving and only God, only God can bring this guy back to life. This begs the question right now is, do you believe that Jesus is who he says that he is? By just looking at this miracle, looking at this section of scripture, when Jesus says, do you believe that I have power over death? And to show you that I have power over death, I'm going to watch. I'm going to give power over death or I'm going to have power over the death uh, of this man as I call him back to life. Now the question is, do you believe it? Do you have faith in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Because if you don't, if you don't, death is something that everyone will experience. In death, you either live in one of two places for all of eternity, heaven or hell. Without Jesus, you will experience a an eternal life that is, is spent in hell. Hell is a real reality. It's a real place. Jesus spoke on it more than he spoke on heaven. 
And here we have this wonderful evidence of who Jesus is. Remember in the fall, in, in chapter 10, Jesus says, it is, is it not written in the law that I said you are God's? And he says in verse 36, Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Jesus says, if you don't believe, or if I don't do the works of my Father, then don't believe that I am who I say that I am. But if I do them, believe in the work. These miracles are evidence of who Jesus is. That only God had the ability to do that. And Jesus in the flesh. God in flesh. And the person of Jesus. So it begs the question is, who do you believe that Jesus is? Because every person is faced with that decision when you stand before God, God will ask you, what did you do with my son? And no one can say, I was indifferent. I never made a decision. I was okay with Jesus, but he was not Lord and Savior. I was kind of, I'm not against him, but I'm not for him. Jesus said, if you're against me, if you have made no decision, you have made your decision. It's either you're in or you're out. There is no middle ground. And so it begs the question this morning is, who do you believe Jesus is? And you have evidence right here in front of you, right here in front of you of who he is. Now you can take this evidence and ignore it, or you can believe it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you that you can breathe life into things that were once dead. Lord, that there is no one who is so far gone that is past saving. So this morning, we ask the question, and as your word has asked us this morning, who do we believe that you are? And if there's anyone in here this morning, you do not believe, or you have not made that decision. You have not made a decision about who Jesus is, and you want to. Listen, God is calling you. Jesus is calling you. There's a reason that you're here this morning. That there are sins that you've committed, there are things that you have done, listen, that Jesus died for, that he has bought and paid for, that you may have life. There is no sin that you've committed that Jesus can't forgive. And so this morning, if you have not made a decision about Jesus, you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, you don't know where you're going to go when you die. And you want to know that you'll spend eternity in heaven with him. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. If you've never accepted Christ, as everyone's heads are bowed, eyes are closed, if you've never accepted Jesus and you want to, is there anyone at all? It would be irresponsible of us to not give opportunity to do that. Is there anyone this morning you feel, man, I'm dead inside. I don't know Jesus. And you want to. Praise the Lord. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We pray, God, that you would, again, breathe new life into us. Lord, those areas that are dead, God, that, that, one, that fire that once burned in our heart, Jesus, that, that fervor and that passion for you that was once dead, that once alive, Lord, has kind of died out. Jesus, we pray that you, again, would ignite it and light it in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you are able and capable to resurrect 
that you are the resurrection, you are the life. And so God, we praise you this morning. As we worship you and close out this morning, we pray that you minister to our hearts, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for us, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you.